You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Rob Gowdy. Rob is a wonderful director who has also done work as a dramaturg and stage manager. He is a dear old friend from the University of Evansville. He's always been a champion of mine, which I'm very grateful for, and I'm such a fan of his lovely presence. I don't get to be around him as much anymore in person as he's based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so this was recorded over Skype. I hope you enjoy the 71st episode of The Compass. the dark side for you too as well the dark side is the is the unknown is the not knowing is the not being sure of where I'm going and not being sure of what my destination is yeah (laughs) that that can be hard um since since I graduated from college in 2003 and holy cats it's 2017 oh my god I can't believe it. It's so crazy. And um, in that time, I've worked as a director and a dramaturg and a stage manager. Never thought I would be a stage manager. But the, the reason I did was because I had a chance to work with Theater de la Jeune Lune. They're just incredible. So yeah. any way I could work with them, I, I ended up doing that. Um, but because I've had so many hats and, and so many possible directions... Um, it's always been a little bit scary which direction should I choose. Yeah. So that that can be challenging because I thought for a long time, you want to be a director, you want to be a director, just do that, focus on that, yeah. and you'll figure it out. And um, I mean, I'm at a point right now where I definitely want that to be a part of the equation, but I don't know if I really doggedly want to pursue that as much as I had. Mm-hmm. So getting back to your original question, um, how do you keep from going to the dark side of, in my case, fearing the unknown? Right, which I totally get. <laughs> I just kind of go back and invest in other art and other literature and try and find things to lift me up. Do you find that other art forms do that for you? Absolutely. Even better than seeing necessarily like another play or something? Um, not necessarily. I'm still, one of my favorite things to do is go see a play that just blows my mind. And, um, there was a, a production, there's, in Minneapolis, we've got a lot of great smaller theaters, mid-range theaters. Um, there's a great little gem of a place called the Jungle Theater, and it's run by Sarah Rasmussen. And, um, yeah, if you've heard of her, she's great. Um, they did a Philip Dawkins play this, this summer called Le Switch. Um, and it's about, it's a gay romantic comedy. And it may sound slight like romantic comedy, that's been done so often, but getting a gay romantic comedy and getting it right and making it simultaneously hilarious and moving is a really hard thing yeah. to do because it's just not, it's uncharted territory. Yeah. I mean, we're used to seeing like Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks and I don't know who doesn't know, Jennifer Lawrence, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they're, they're romantic comedy, but a gay romantic comedy is hard to pull off. And it was an astonishing production. 
and that that totally lifted me up um made me feel more validated as a human as well um but beyond theater um i'm big into books my day job is at barnes and noble and it has been forever and i just think literature is always moving forward and always looking for new forms and that's so exciting i read a i read a book um in january it's called do not say we have nothing um it's about a roughly about a a pianist in chairman mao's china and the structure of the book is very adventurous it's told slightly through flashback from the pianist's daughter's perspective and um it was about art in the time of oppression which definitely was timely and surprising. But it was, you know, it was, it made me feel very hopeful that, I mean, Chairman Mao's China was horrific and scary and, and a lot of people didn't have a voice and these people persisted and it it just made me as an artist and as a human think a lot about, um, how you've got to hold on to yourself and hold on to your own values at, at all costs and, yeah. and figure out ways to to live those values to their utmost so investigating investigating theater investigating books um that must be dangerous to have that employee discount at barnes and Noble. oh my god it's <laughs> the worst. although i actually don't pay that much for books i do a lot of downloading um if you don't do check out ebooks from your public library kids do it now because <laughs> it's it's where it's at. You get them in five seconds. You know, I've been I've been reinvesting in the Queens Public Library. I've been um, rediscovering the request system because our branch is like tiny and they never have what I want. I'm like, oh, if I just plan ahead. Yeah, exactly. I'll no, have the library is always there. Well, yeah. at least it is now. Give them money or something, I guess, because we don't know what's going to happen in the next four years. <laughs> oh. um, so tell me about uh, your relationship with Minneapolis. Um, and like where, Minneap- you, where you are with it now, since you've spent so much time there before and after college. Yeah, I, I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis. I'm now living in a different suburb of Minneapolis. I lived in Minneapolis for a while. I will probably be back in Minneapolis sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, Minneapolis is great. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of artists really crave that, um, work-life balance that can, I, I know can feel really difficult in New York City. Um, a lot of people end up moving to Minneapolis because that work-life balance, uh, particularly financially can be a little bit more attainable. Right. The cost of living is just a Cost of living is lower. lower. Um, there's lots of places to live. There's lots of types of places to live, although the rental market's a little bit crunched right now. Um, we have a great mix of arts available to us. Um, we have some really fantastic visual arts museums. We have the Minnesota Opera. We have the Minnesota Orchestra. Um, we have the Guthrie. We have... Um, just tons and tons and tons of theater. It's been really fascinating, actually, because I've been involved in Minneapolis theater since I was a kid. I grew up at the Minneapolis Children's Theater, which was the most wonderful, bucolic, um, ideal childhood you could possibly ever want. Mm. I built relationships there that I still have to this day. 
Um, I run into people that I work with there to this day. So, I mean, you can really tell the importance of investing in relationships from that. Um, That's so special. So, yeah. Um, so I, I grew up um, working there, and um, they're a fantastic company. But since that time, there was a structure in Minneapolis theater when I was in when I was a kid and when I was in high school that there were a few biggies at the top. There was children's theater. There was the Guthrie. Um, there uh, was Theater de la Jeune Lune. All three of those theaters ended up winning regional theater Tonys eventually, so they were definitely leaders in their field. Yeah. Um, and then there were a bunch of mid-range theaters, like the Jungle's been along for a really around for a really long time. There's another, <laughs> it's kind of Guthrie East Park Square Theater in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Now has two stages and produces, I think, a 12-play season, which is oh, wow. insane that they're able to do that and be across the river from the Guthrie and still financially sustain, uh, sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, there was there was a structure in Minneapolis of like these big theaters and these mid-range theaters. And then there were a few ways that you could kind of get some credits under your belts um, and then eventually work your way up to those theaters. Uh, what's really happened, I feel, um, since I graduated from college and beyond, is it has really turned into a place where the only the only way you're going to get somewhere is if you start making your own work, if you start your own company, if you um, have an idea of what you want to be and what you want to do, and you just do it. Because those are the people that end up um, actually booking work at the, at the larger organizations now. Um, so that's been interesting to deal with because I've always been a more systemic person of like, I, I put my hand on this rung, I put my hand on that rung and I climb up the ladder. Right. And, um, I've never been, I've always found self, self-producing things to be a little bit scary, mostly financially. Yeah. And overwhelming. (laughs) And overwhelming. So, um, I think that I think that's both exciting for our community and a little bit daunting for me um, personally. Um, which which isn't to say that I I mean I've had some really lovely experiences as a as a director, but it's really hard. The longer you do this, the more the more you're like, okay, so I'm at this rung now. When can I actually grasp the next rung? Right. No. Nope. And that can get that can get a little bit frustrating in Minneapolis in particular because, you know. It, the chances of you actually directing a show at the Guthrie are relatively slim, although people have done it. Um, Joel Sass is a wonderful director and designer who, who grew through the Twin Cities. Peter Rothstein is a wonderful director who grew through the Twin Cities. Yeah, I'm sure that's interesting. Like how I wonder how conscious the larger theaters like the Guthrie are, are of that, of like they bring in people from New York, from other places, and fostering local talent and making the think, community feel included. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that Guthrie actually does a pretty good job of it, especially it's been really exciting lately because they've, Joe Dowling was their artistic director for, I want to say 19 years, and um, already, Joseph Hodge. Has he already hmm, stepped down? He stepped down, yeah. Okay. Joseph Hodge took over, and he is in his first full season that he programmed. Um, he was here at, last season in a season that he co-programmed with Joe Dowling. 
and Joe Hodge is doing amazing things at the Guthrie. He's a he's a very um, community based artist, so he's really trying to bring in the Twin Cities community as widely as he possibly can, and that means not just theater people, but we have a really big Somali population in the Twin Cities. We have a really big Hmong population in the Twin Cities. Um, so he's looking looking for ways to build non-traditional audiences as well and get them into the theater. Um, just a, across the board, the way they cast and the types of people you see on stage has completely changed. Wow. And it is amazing. <laughs> like, wow. I literally go there and just cry sometimes because of who's on stage. And not just who's on stage, who's on the production teams, too. That's I mean, amazing. it's amazing. So... So, yeah, I think I, I'm not worried about the health of the Twin Cities theater community via the Guthrie at all during this era. I think a lot of the big productions are being directed by out-of-towners right now, but I think the more that Joe Hodge gets to know this community, the, the more opportunities there will be for Minneapolis directors, and certainly there are other Minneapolis artists are definitely being employed by that organization as well as New York-based artists. So yeah. they're, they're, they're healthy right, right now. I'm not worried about them. Um, but you think you're there for the long haul? I know it's been, it's so great that your family's there. You get to be an, an uncle, an active participant uncle in your nephew's life. I do. Well, I actually have, it's interesting. I have three, uh, I've got a niece and two nephews here, and I now have a nephew and two nieces that live, um, in Connecticut. Oh. Like an hour outside of New York City, so, so if it's if it should so happen that I move to New York City, oh. I wouldn't be that far from nieces and nephews. Have you thought um, about it, or you, you think you're you're there for good? I think, I mean, it, it's still hard to say. I'm certainly not. I'm not really searching outside of Minneapolis right now. Um, I did do a little bit of searching. I was in a bit of a low place over the summer and the fall of really just not knowing what I was doing. And I was just like throwing out as many nets as possible. Um, and I was a little more open, open to moving then, but, um, then I, then I met someone and I fell in love. So <laughs> I mean, it's a great not reason. going anywhere without him. Great <laughs> <So> <laughs> we shall see what that bears. Um, but yeah, I kind of, after, once that happened, I was like, you know, maybe I should probably stick closer to home and yeah, so I'm kind of looking for, looking for other ways around staying gainfully employed. Yeah. No, I know we had talked about that on the phone, and I am too. That kind of making a decision to maybe have something that rewards you more for your time, even if it isn't as flexible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've worked at, so I've worked at Barnes & Noble, um, wow, I think for 10 years, um, the one reason that they're great is because they're fairly flexible and I have health insurance and I, they match 401k and all that. I've got vacation time and all that wonderful thing. Do you, the are, one you problem, are you full-time? I'm full-time. Yeah. Um, the one problem with them is because the schedule, I mean, we're open 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. Right. So the scheduling can get a bit chaotic and it, it can make it very difficult to do things on a whim. I have a director who I've assisted a lot um, who recently emailed me and wanted me to be his assistant on a show. And um, I just I had to say no because there was no way with such short notice that I could get yeah. that figured out. So that was sad. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, it would definitely. And Minneapolis is interesting because there's only maybe two or three theaters that rehearse during the day. There aren't a ton of theaters that do. Um, most mo- most theaters assume that s- at least part of their cast is going to have a day job. That's interesting. Um, so there, I actually could probably be a healthier and happier director if I found a better, like more nine to five style job. Which is a <laughs> another reason that Minneapolis is great because you you literally can still work in the theater and still work at some of the bigger theaters and still and. Yeah. Have, a, have a full life. But having done that before, I can tell you it is exhausting, especially yeah. for a director, because you're there every day. Well, you and have to do to, so much prep before yeah, rehearsals I mean, and everything. Yeah, and it just, you just, you don't really have time to breathe, and then that starts to affect your sleep, and yeah. then you just become a not productive human in general. <laughs> Yeah, it is It is interesting, though, to get to that point where you're like, well, maybe I need to focus on the financial part for a while so I can have yeah. more options of what I do with my time, you know? And one of the most positive things I have to say is that when right when you graduate from college, you really feel like, I have got to keep this ball in the air. If I don't keep this ball in the air, it's going to drop, right. and I'm never going to get it back. Momentum, again. momentum, momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, I mean, there is something to that. You want to have some momentum. But um, the older you get, the more you realize that theater will always be there, and that if you need to take a little bit of a break, and you need to do some other life figuring out, that it's going to be there when you get back. The people you know will still be the people you know. Um, the people who champion you will still be the people who champion you and they won't love you or like you any less because you've taken some time to figure out your own life a little bit. Yeah. So that's something that I, that I try to believe in and, freeing um, thought. yes. <laughs> um, and it just, I think it always comes back to just always treat people the way you want to be treated. Like if you, if you're good and kind to other people, when you take a break for five years or you come back, they're going to be like, oh, that's that good and kind person who I always like seeing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, I don't think my relationships are that that mercenary. That's not the reason I'm good and kind, but <laughs> but I definitely think it helps. I, there's no reason in this industry where, where we're all trying for the same thing for us not to be considerate of one another. Do you have any other artistic outlets that you pursue when you're not directing like writing or any hobbies or things like that I'm just curious I actually don't um I really (laughs) this is kind of a sad hobby but I really love reading the news and I really love reading it's not a sad hobby I think more people need that hobby (laughs) I really love um, (laughs) I love arts criticism I love reading I love reading criticism about books and literature and theater I used to be a little I was more into music and and movies at one point but just kind of overloaded on it so these days I'm mostly focused on books and and theater but you know I just feel like you just learn so much about perspectives from other forms of art and I think criticism is a huge part of that as well sometimes I really do like to form my own opinion first but you know (laughs) 
sometimes it can it can good criticism can help you decide where to focus your interest and and also help you help you understand something that you didn't necessarily completely understand so yeah um how does your family react to your being an artist I, I my family's great they've always uh every single like to a t like extended family cousins and stuff have always been so incredibly supportive and interested to the point that sometimes I'm kind of like, this isn't quite as cool as you think it is. It's not very glamorous. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they've, I mean, and honestly, that's kind of being an artist and being arts focused is always, has always been a huge part of my identity and kind of, made me have a happy, well-adjusted childhood. Um, I grew up in a very swanky suburb of Minneapolis called Edina um, that has a reputation for for being the Richie Riches and um, is very obsessed with athletic prowess, particularly hockey, since we're in Minnesota. <laughs> and um, But it was very academic, academically rigorous as well. And growing up in that community, I was always the boy who did theater. I was like the kid. I was the one who did children's theater. And, you know, especially when you're growing up and you don't know it at the time, but you're gay. (laughs) And and you're in a community that's very sport and straight focused. Um, It could have been really horrible. And uh, I was really lucky because everyone thought I was really interesting and unique. And I felt that way all the way through high school. Um, so in a way, I almost wish it was harder because then <laughs> I would have had a little bit of struggle and I would have known what it felt like yeah. <laughs> before I graduated from college. Because right. everyone was so gosh darn accommodating. and so well, Having wonderful. that children's theater there, I'm sure, also like yeah. gave, it, gave you some street cred. Like you weren't just yeah. doing theater in the school cafeteria. You were like doing it at this place where they could all come see what a big deal it was. Yeah, yeah. The the first play I did was Peter Pan. Um, I was ten years old. Um, it was at Children's Theater, and my entire class came to see it, and it was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was really fun. But uh, yeah, just getting just getting back to that point, it was. It, I've never felt. I've never felt bad for being, art an artist or being arts inclined. I've always felt celebrated and unique and interesting. And I guess my hat's off to the good people of Minnesota for, for wanting to support that it's because that, I've never felt any other way. That's really amazing. And kind of great that since you are near, near your family that they have gotten a chance to come see your work, you know, in a way that Absolutely. if you were in New York City, they might not have been able to as often. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's always been very well attended, so... Well, that one summer that I spent at the Guthrie, I was so impressed. And I, I obviously, I was not there in the winter, but I was just so impressed by, like you said, like, the amount of art going on in the city. But even more than that, like, the amount that people who aren't artists were just excited to be art um, patrons, you know? Yeah, um, and that's and that's not to say that it isn't still a challenge. You know, I was at um, King Lear at the Guthrie a week ago, and um, I went to see it twice because there were um, 
the role of Lear was being alternated by two different actors, and I knew both of them, so I wanted to see them both. And both times, uh, the audience was no more than two-thirds full. And I just, it was, it, it really made me sad that maybe there isn't an appetite for Shakespeare anymore. Um, mm. So, I mean, it's not to say, I painted a very, very rosy picture. That It's not to say that there isn't still room for improvement and a reinvestment in the arts that probably needs to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great community, but in 2017, when we're all pulled 12 different ways and everyone has a social media platform and we're all being advertised to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we all have causes that need to be supported. It is, it is a question, where do the arts fit into that and how do we, how do we create a sustainable way for them to continue and be important in people's lives and not just be something that that's that's there and might will always be there and I don't really need to worry about it going away that is I I really wonder I think feel like it could be very healing if we um if we can find a way to get not just uh liberal leaning theater lovers in the room but to have people of all beliefs in the room in person like there's something about being in the same room in person and not just bickering over social media, mm-hmm. um, experiencing some human thing that could be very uh, helpful right now. But well, in, how do you in, get in them a way, um, in a way, all theater is political. But um, if you get if you get all people in one room listening to one story that isn't necessarily inherently political, so that we can all start to agree on something. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Guthrie had a bit of a moment last summer when they produced South Pacific because. Um, although, although to some of us, it's, it's ideals feel a little bit dated. <laughs> I mean, at, at its core, it's still a very hopeful and inclusive piece. And, um, there was, there was actually, uh, a lot of excitement about it and some editorials and opinion pieces exchanged in the, in the local paper, the Star Tribune about it. So it was kind of exciting to see people, investigating and talking about art in, <laughs> in macro big world sense and definitely there were I mean there were varying political viewpoints that were chiming in about it and mm-hmm. I was just like this is great <laughs> more of this please come on yeah. South Pacific stoked to cut discussion <laughs> um is there something from the last few years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about like a lesson you've learned or something like that um, I think probably the biggest lesson that I've learned um, is that even though we're in a collaborative art form, uh, you are always responsible for your own voice and for, for yourself. And you should never be afraid to have your voice and to have your thoughts. And if we're, if we're going to be a healthy collaborative community moving forward, you need to you need to understand your thoughts and beliefs and be able to articulate them and stand by them. I had a particularly challenging experience as a director where I felt like I was in a rehearsal room where we weren't all on the same page. And it caused me to retreat into my shell a little bit and not not perhaps be the leader that I needed to be. Mm-hmm. I just learned that that I can't be afraid of having my thought and my opinion 
Yeah. And it's, that's, I know that must be a, a, an interesting thing to hear from a director because it's kind of our job to have an opinion all the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, you, you, you as an artist always have agency and you are responsible for yourself. So that's great. let your, yeah, let your light shine. Yeah. Don't let someone else put it out for you. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that can be scary to put your voice in the room. Um, if you feel like, you know, other people might not like you or something for what you have yeah. to think, but you, you have to have your thoughts about it. You can't just agree all the time. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, for, from the actor's perspective, I, I, you know, as a director, I just always want to hear what the actors have to say. I always want to, I always want them to be a part of the process. And it can be hard as a director knowing, um, knowing which opinions to take and which opinions to leave and which opinions to and how and how to help the actor feel valued at, while at the same time maybe not taking their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it, it, the art our art form in particular, theater in particular, will only be stronger with really well articulated and strong viewpoints. Yeah. Um, is there a favorite space? Uh, that you found that you enjoy working in more than any other in Minneapolis as a director? Um, there, there are two favorite spaces that I haven't worked in as a director, <laughs> <laughs> but I just adore. Um, Minneapolis is an old mill town. We're right on the Mississippi, so that's basically why it exists. There was a lot of milling that happened. So as a result, there are a lot of warehouse spaces that developed um, the the old theater de la Jeune Lune, Their space was an was an old warehouse of some sort, and it just was this labyrinthine, um, history laden, um, gorgeous, um, open, epic space that just begged for theater. And sadly, when they closed, it turned into an event space, so it's no longer used oh. for theater. <laughs> Um, I think I worked on maybe five or six productions with them before they closed. So I definitely had, I had a lot of time to, to get used to that space and to love it. Um, what was that like? Cause they, I, I only saw them in, they brought a show to Actors Theater Louisville once, um, which was amazing. The Miser, I think. The Miser. Yeah. yeah. But it um, blew me away. And everyone should know this. They're not gone. They, um, they were. They had a really interesting structure. They had five artistic directors, and two of the artistic directors kind of splintered off. The two that I worked with the most, Dominique Sirand and Stephen Epp. Dominique's more a director. Stephen's more an actor. Although they've both done each of them, and Stephen is also a really um, great writer as well. Uh, they have a company now called the Moving Company, and they've been producing really interesting June Loon esque work for the past five years and they're doing a piece in the in the Guthrie season on the Guthrie's proscenium stage called Refugia. That's coming up in oh I want to say three or four weeks. So they're still working. So if you okay. see the moving company around the country, that's them and yeah. you should go see them. But uh June Loon was just it, it was exciting because it was this they had like one one part of their performance space was this huge, empty warehouse, and then there was another part of their performing space that was, like, a smaller warehouse that had roughly a proscenium around it. 
and they used to reconfigure their seating all the time. So sometimes you were just in the huge warehouse part. Sometimes you were sitting in the huge warehouse looking at the proscenium. Sometimes you were in the proscenium area. So it just, part of the magic was going there and never quite knowing what you were going to get. And they just, um, you never knew where things were going to come from. I worked on a production of The Little Prince um, that had an enormous hole in the middle of the stage. Um, There was a pretty elaborate and very frightening basement (laughs) (laughs) that had a room that I would call the crematorium because there was like this big oven-like structure and all this like decayed dust. (laughs) It was terrifying. Um, But in The Little Prince... um, no no props whatsoever came from anywhere but this hole in the center of the stage. And there were like trap doors that they made. So I mean it just they really they really get how to do um epic and surprising theater in a really moving way, in a very often hilarious way. Yeah. Um so that's one of the spaces I really love. Uh there's another space, um there's another space in Minneapolis called the Southern Theater. Um, I think it, I don't know. It either used to be an old movie house or an old Thoughtville house. But it um, also has that kind of old warehousey look. And it has this decaying proscenium um, with those old-fashioned lights that are around the proscenium. And um, they have this really spectacular lighting grid where they do a lot of, um, they have a lot of, uh, side lighting capabilities so you can get really interesting shapes and forms in your lighting schemes so that that could still potentially happen as a production of the southern but my one of my back of the head dreams is we are we're very scandinavian in minnesota (laughs) and uh one of my favorite places is the swedish institute and they have this amazing at the it's an old mansion it's this old like i want to say late 19th early 20th century mansion and the that like top floor of the mansion has this like open great hall like space with a little tiny stage at the end and my dream would be able to do a, a production of the Sondheim a little night music at the Swedish Institute in that space so I think I'm going to try and make that happen at some point yes. fingers that crossed awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there's three spaces for the price of one that's amazing. Um, let me see how long I've kept you here. All right, you're doing fine. We're doing fine. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've, I've um, somehow wound up doing mostly untraditional, <laughs> untraditional spaces, untraditional theater, <clears throat> and I love it. I love it when it's not in a, you know, in a normal, know what you expect space. When people walk in, yeah. With with Drunkelvania, how have you found? What, how has it been different from one space to the other? Um, I mean, the space we're in now that you haven't seen is just really yes. well suited for it. It's in. It's upstairs from a Russian restaurant. It's all like, you know, ornate wallpaper and velvet couches and big chairs and marble tables and. Um, so people really feel, feel the ambiance when they come in. Um, it's a little smaller too, so it's a little more intimate. 
Cool. The other space at the gin mill where we did it before, like that room, that room was very nice, but sorry, there's something chalked out of my um, <laughs> But I mean, upstairs, that bar was like the broiest of broy <laughs> bars. So it was kind of yes, a, an correct. interesting vibe when you would walk out. I think there was an Indianapolis Colts game on after the performance oh, that I saw. <laughs> It's just, it was just like, and oh my two, god. two people might have been very excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> and now, like, people can order Russian food during the show. Oh, fun. But it's definitely, you know, it's definitely been tricky because it's like a family business. So at mm-hmm. the other space, we always knew what to expect. And the bar was always very prepared for us. And we had a security guy at the door. And, like, it was very by the books. This one is like, you, we never know what's going to happen on any given night. It's very loosey-goosey, so... <laughs> well, isn't that really what theater's about, though? Yes. yes. Opening yourself to all the possibilities <laughs> of what could happen in two hours. Yes, so that's definitely one of, one of the things. You always have to be prepared for surprises. We talked a little bit about this at the beginning, just because you said that the thing that you do to keep out of the dark side is, like, turn to other mediums, but... Yes. Um, I usually ask, like, is there anything concrete that you reach for on a day when you're really feeling down or uninspired? Like a particular book or a particular song you like to listen to or a place you go? Not really. Um, Although this fall, this fall when I was not feeling so well, I'm a little bit behind the curve out here in the hinterlands. (laughs) And I finally discovered Natasha Pierre. Here, like this late summer, early fall. You've never, <laughs> you never saw it when you were in town. One of I these never times? have seen it. I didn't see it at Ars Nova. Okay. I did not see it Next at the trip. casino. I have not happen. seen it on Broadway. But you have the soundtrack. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, um, and uh, no, the um, Pierre's song at the end of the show, "The Great Comet." Um, it has become a little bit of a touchstone for me in the last nine months, mm-hmm. Par- particularly because it's about, there's this wonderful line about how the comet, I, I look at the comet, but I have no fear. I, I gaze joyfully is definitely one. I think it's no, I gaze joyfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and ba- basically not to, not to drag this out for too long. There was a, there was a desk job that. I really, really wanted to get in this fall, and I didn't get it. Yeah. And I thought it would be just the great stepping stone to figuring out what the next phase of my life would be. And I put a lot of stock into it, and it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> so it made me very, very, very sad. And that was in October, and we all know what happened on November 9th. Okay. <laughs> so, um. yeah, that, that lately... That that song has been giving me a lot of hope because it's definitely about seeing things that should be make you fearful and finding finding joy and finding hope and pulling your own self out of it by recognizing that there is a new there is a new phase ahead. And it's been I I, I really can't can't thank Dave Molloy enough for writing that song. It's a really beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Well, come to New York again, and we'll go see it together. Yay! <laughs> um, Is it, have you have you seen it at um, the Imperial? I have, because uh, Frankie's best friend Nick Choksi is in it. Ooh, fun! Yeah, is he? I don't remember the character's he, name. But is he Dolokhov? Yes, I think. That's there you like go. A dashing friend. <laughs> yes. 
Um, he, and so I had seen well, it cool. at Ars Nova, but we got to go to opening night with his family, which was very, very fun and very sweet. And um, it's really, it's really cool the way they've re-outfitted the entire theater. So it's kind of in the round. Well, and I, I just, I am just obsessed how they're using those Met Opera-inspired Sputnik lamps. Like, I just love them. I think they're amazing. Yeah, they're really beautiful. The first time I went to the Met Opera, I thought that I had like gone back in time and. I, I just I see those and I just get excited. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> so I'm happy they're we'll, a part of that. Design. We'll make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, lastly, is there anything you've seen or taken in of any art form lately that you want to recommend? Oh, I don't. Well, that that book I was talking about. Do not say we have nothing. Yeah. Just get on that. Okay. It's it's amazing. Another book that just tore me apart that's only about a year old is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. I've read that. I'm sure. <laughs> Did you read it? Oof. Yes. Oh, I know. I just, I was a weepy, horrible mess reading that book. Um, I think they're making it into some sort of mini-series. I'm not sure. Oh, really? I'm Interesting. I'm not sure who's doing I wanted it. to, I kind of want that to stay a book. It felt like it wanted to be a book. I, I kind of want to reread it, and I kind of don't. <laughs> I know. But it just, oh, what, a, what an emotional journey. So that for books. Um, I don't think there's anything in Minneapolis that's still running that I've seen recently. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I would just give a plug again back to the moving company and, and Refugia, because yeah. I think it's going to be, it's about, it's about refugees. So it's going to be very timely, and it's, I've never had a single wasted evening in the theater, um, seeing the work of those artists. I think that they're always provocative, they're always interesting, and they always leave you um, feeling very taken care of as an audience member. So that if you're in Minneapolis, I can't think if there's anything in New York that that Um, I wish I was there to see. I'll give a little shout out to the show I saw last week. I saw Come From (gasps) Away. Oh, yeah. Um, which a couple of my Canadian friends had seen in Vancouver, I think, and had recommended it to me. Um, and it wasn't perfect, but I saw it on a day when I really needed it. Like, it was a dark day, raining all day in New York. You know, it isn't quite spring yet. <laughs> it's just like you want the sun to come out, and I went to see it. And it just um, had a lot of hope and made me want to move to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, you know, about people taking care of each other in an un- unexpected, extreme circumstance. So, made me happy. That's amazing. Yeah. Can you, rec- can you recommend something that isn't on Broadway for those of us who might miss such things? <laughs> if I've seen anything. I think everybody at Signature already closed, but it was an incredible Brandon Jacob Jenkins show. Oh, yeah. Um, um, oh, I thought of another one in Minneapolis, folks. <laughs> um, one of my favorite theaters ever is 10,000 Things Theater. Their main mission is um, touring uh, professional, professionally produced um, and acted productions to women's shelters, prisons, homeless shelters. So all the productions they do are always in the round. The lights are always up. Um and they do, they have incredible, crazy repertoire. They just finished Fiddler on the Roof, which I didn't get to see. But they are doing Intimate Apparel, the Lynn Nottage play. Ooh. And that's coming very, very soon. 
and I am so for that. I'm so excited. (laughs) I saw it at the Guthrie maybe like 12 years ago, but I'm the cast is amazing. The company, that theater company, is amazing. It's going to be a great show. I know it. (laughs) Well. To continue our shout-outs, <laughs> pub- for people in New York, the Public Theater's Mobile Shakespeare Unit does something similar where they take their show to you know, community centers and prisons and all sorts of places. And I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. Chris Grant is in it, Evansvillite. Um, Yay, Ceci Fernandez, who's been on the podcast, is playing Olivia. And I, there's some other uh, Juilliard folks I know who are in it as well. Um, they're doing Twelfth Night and... I think it's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. So, basically, we need to start a new podcast that you and I co-host <laughs> called "Things We Recommend." Things we recommend. <laughs> well, Rob, there's this dark cellar. <laughs> it's kind of like one, there's a there's a light and there's one light and one actor, and you smell nothing but vomit. And then What's they that do character's name? Stefan. Stefan will be our other co-host. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for doing this. This was so fun. Makes me so happy. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brendan Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.